Well, good morning, good morning. I tell you, I love that passage. It is a good passage. That's what we're going to look over today. Oh, side note, don't forgive, uh, don't forgive, don't forget, don't forget to give to the Annie Armstrong offering if that's where you feel led, for it truly is helping people know Jesus. And really, that's what it's all about. Amen? Yeah. All right. Uh, the passage I want to give you guys today to look at uh, as far as throughout the rest of the week in light of today is Psalm 44, verse 3. Psalm 44, verse 3. Read it, chew on it, write it somewhere, tell your neighbor, tell your cat if you have one. You could tell your dog, I don't know if you pay attention, but check it out, read it. Psalm 44, verse 3, throughout the week and see how God speaks to you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Truly, it's an honor to uh, come before you and to come to understand your word, to come together. And, and Lord, that, that's why we gather. Uh, that's why we're here, whether online or in person, Lord, we're here to be under your word. God, that, because you are the one that directs our life. You are the one that guides our life. You are the one who is involved with our life, whether we know it or not. You have been watching out for us, Lord. And we are saved because of you. Oh God, I pray that today be a day that we just are able to focus on what you want us to know and focus on your love and care over us. God, be with those churches that are meeting across the world. Be with all the churches meeting in whatever context. Lord, we know our brother and, brothers and sisters are out there. But we are together as one under the name of Jesus. And God, we pray right now that our prayers are an encouragement to them. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you strengthen them as, strengthen them as with us. God, uh, today we ask that you convict us of our sins, expose our sins, Lord. Show them, reveal them to us so we can throw them down at the cross. So we can repent of them, turn away from them and cling to your son even more than we did yesterday. And just be filled with love, hope, and peace. So we can live the faith consistently before you, Lord. For truly you are a merciful God. That even though we fail, you never fail us. For your son has accomplished everything for us if we just have faith in him. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at 1 Peter and. Throughout this letter of 1 Peter, Peter has been wanting all of us uh, to see that there is power in this gospel message. That, the God, that, that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can and we will get through any trials that this world throws at us. That no matter what comes our way, that no matter how painful or how, how gut-wrenching our circumstances or our situations may be, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we will get through it. That's our promise. And this book of 1 Peter has been written to people, right, who have been facing some really hostile, intense situations in their life because of their faith in Jesus. By placing their faith in Christ, 
their lives were beginning to conflict with the world around them because they were now living differently than the world around them. Their thoughts, their conversations, their life choices were not going down the same path as the world. And the world at that time was rejecting them harshly for it and considered them haters of mankind. It's always important to remember that. All because they were placing their faith in Christ alone and saying there is a right way. For them, when they were placing their faith in Christ, it meant that they lost their prestige in society. They lost their honor. They lost their dignity. They became an an outcast and, and were mocked by the world because their life basically lost value in the eyes of the world. So these people were living in a very hard situation where there was no relief. There was no authoritative figure or law at the time that they could really appeal to knowingly and confidently that would come to their aid. For the Christians didn't participate in the emperor worship of that time. So if they did reach out to a governing authority over them, it was unknown if that governing authority would help them or come to their aid because in the state's eyes, Christians were considered a type of threat. Because they weren't giving in to what the rest of the world uh, what the rest of the world wanted. These Christians then were living in this constant state of, of tension with those around them. The glaring eyes and judgments of men were always following them wherever they went and with whatever they did. The world around them was doing its best to create hardships in all things for those who expressed faith in Christ. And you don't have to necessarily be a rocket scientist to know what will be produced in someone when problems and hardships are constantly coming their way. Problems and hardships ignite this thing called worry. And I'm sure none of you have ever experienced worry. I'm just kidding, I know. We, we all have experienced worthy, in fact, uh, worry. I'm sure that there are some of you who are experiencing worry right now with the way the world is and the way that your life is. And for these Christians that Peter was writing to, uh, they were faced with worry every day. And Peter knows this. So in our text, Peter wants to help them deal with their worry. I mean, when your life and family is at risk 24-7, because you've placed your faith in Christ, I mean... Worry will wear on you. Worry will beat you down if you don't see a way out, if you don't see hope. I mean, I think we've all experienced, we've all been there. Worry can easily drain the life out of you if you don't handle it correctly. So Peter is going to give us some principles today in how to deal with worry and cares and our burdens so today we're just going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. And our title is, as you can see, is How to Deal with Worry. So let's look at the text then and see what gracious counsel Peter has for us. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it states, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
Now, in verse 6, Peter is keeping within this theme of humility. But whereas just prior, he has talked about humility in the context of what it looks like in a church community, he is now focusing on what humility looks like in our relationship with God. And it is in this humble relationship that we're called to have with him that we find a principle on how to deal with our worries in life. And this brings us to our very first point. How to deal with your worry? Accept God's sovereignty over your life. Now, remember, as I stated before, these Christians were not in a comfortable, seemingly positive situation in their life. Hardships, trials, and problems were popping up everywhere. They had a lot to worry about because the people were look because people around them was, were looking for ways to destroy their life. So, how were they to handle these worries and concerns? How are they as Christians to deal with the worries of those who are causing them so much pain? How are they to handle the worry? of their livelihood being possibly taken away from them? How, what are they to do with the worry of society enjoying making a humiliation of them? And that's a lot to worry about and a lot to deal with. And Peter gives us a shocking answer that at least I know I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. Peter says, humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God. Now, I know that when things are going awry in my life and, or people are creating problems, creating situations for me to worry about, the last thing I want to hear is, John, just be humble. Uh, what? No, I want to hear about how to fix the situation that I'm dealing with. Like, I want to hear about how to take my worry that's being caused to me, and shoot it back a thousand times fold to rid myself of the one or thing creating the worry in me. And the answer of, eh, be humble under the mighty hand of God, is the farthest thing from my mind. But what we have here in this text is that's what, that's what Peter is telling all of us to do, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God in our worries. And that's so backwards from what the world teaches us. Because the world says, fight it, break it, destroy it. Vengeance. Revenge. But yet, if we follow this text, it becomes so freeing to humble ourselves. Because I know, by not doing what this text says, I will just lead myself down a path of more pain and worry. So whatever your worries may be, whatever major concerns you may have about the world around you, we are called to have a humble attitude about it. Have a humbleness in whatever action we take or with whatever we say. Humility is the reaction that we're called to take when problems, trials, hardships, and woes come screaming out our face to create worry within us. This is why he says in verse 6, humble yourself. You and I are to enter in the mindset, the perspective of humility in these moments. 
It does not say wait for God to humble you. It does not say wait until the situation that you are facing breaks you so that you are humbled. It does not say go find someone to humble you. No, you and I are to actively humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God when worrisome trials occur in our life. Or really, what this text is is saying is that you and I should always be living in a humble attitude and humility before God's mighty hand in our life. And this phrase, the mighty hand, is something that really deserves our attention here because the wording of calling it the hand of calling God's hand mighty is unique to Peter. That phrase is not the hand of God is all over the New Testament, but the mighty hand is unique to Peter. But it's not unique in the Old Testament. For example, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 15, And now our Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Deuteronomy 3, 24, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do uh, such works and mighty acts as yours. So with Peter then calling God's hand mighty, He is pulling from Old Testament language to make what he says here very weighty to to ease their worries. He wants them to realize that God is not far off. He's not looking down from some ivory tower, but is very much amongst them in their life currently. Now, why? Because his Sovereign, absolute, powerful, ruling, mighty hand that was at work within the Old Testament people. All those miracles that you see and extraordinary things that happened back then. That same mighty hand is also at work within their very lives now since they have faith in Christ. And that will never stop. So when we read the text in regards to our own worrisome troubles, we need to realize this applies to us too. In our worrisome troubles, that God's mighty hand is at work within our life right now if we have faith in Jesus. So with Peter calling God's hand mighty, he wants us and them to see that God's mighty hand is at work amongst us individually, And corporately, whether we realize it or not. So we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand right now and realize that he is here with us because his mighty hand is amongst us, whether we realize it or not. So we need to be humbly open to do whatever God requires of us in whatever circumstance that we are in, good or bad, hard or easy, threatening or non-threatening. We always need to see our lives as ones that are, through faith in Christ, seeking after righteousness, seeking after his kingdom, seeking after his ways above our own, even if that means more pain for us. But he will be there for us with his mighty hand because his hand has always been there. 
Our focus, Peter is saying, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that is at work already within our life. Even if more possible worries and suffering comes from it, we need to know that it's all part of his sovereign righteous plan because his hand is amongst you and upon you if you have faith in Jesus. We are to humble ourselves in this way rather than to say, what did I do to deserve this, God? We are to humble ourselves in this way rather than to say, why is this happening to me? For that's not our call. Our call is to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and to say to the Lord, as Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven, no matter what comes our way. Now, does that mean you go again looking for hardships and go looking for pain? No, That is not what we're called to do. What we're, we're called to humble ourselves to God and His ways, humble ourselves under His mighty hand that is at, already at work within our life through faith in Jesus. But if pain and suffering and potential worrisome trials comes about, so be it. The driving point that Peter is getting at here is that they, as with us, when we respond to the worrisome hardships through humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, this is God's way of delivering us from them. I know that sounds backwards. That when we commit ourselves to the Lord and His ways above our own humility, you know, the other at the expense of self, following our Lord at the expense of self, or as Matthew 16.25 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, humility. When we humbly give ourselves to the Lord and his ways, though all, all the worrisomes and trials show up, we need to understand God, will, God uses them to deliver us from the power of this world. So Peter is saying to us and these Christians that everything that is happening to us, all the worrisome hardships, all the trials we face because we're trusting in Christ alone and humbling ourselves before him, All of that happens for the purpose of God saving us from the chains and the bondage of this world. Trusting in Him rather than ourselves or anything else. They might say, are you sure? That that kind of seems like a stretch. Well, my friend, that's why he finishes with verse 6. So that at the proper time, He may exalt you. What Peter is basically saying, that all this suffering through humbling yourself before God's mighty hand will lead to glory at the proper time. 
at God's sovereign appointed time. He will raise us up when he sees fit or exalt us at his chosen time. So the suffering we endure through these worrisome trials will lead to our glory when we humble ourselves to God through them. So that the mighty hand will exalt us before him. And if you don't believe that suffering can lead to glory, because that's not what the world says. The world says fight. The Bible says trust. If you don't believe that that's really the path to glory, you just have to look at the cross. Philippians 2 8 through 9 says of Christ, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, suffering, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, suffering to glory. For through Christ humbling himself under his Father's mighty hand to do as he wills, which led to Christ's death, but it also led to his exaltation. So it will be the same for us if we have faith in Christ. That's the promise we have in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 states, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, find their yes in Jesus. We will be exalted. Now, will the exaltation be the same as Christ? No. We didn't die to save sinners. We were the sinners that he came to save. But through faith in Christ, we will be exalted in some fashion nonetheless. For that's the promise that the cross has sealed for you and I, and that we rely on, that we bank on, that our life is all fully dependent on. That's the citadel of it all. Now, you might be wondering, you know, when or exactly, when or when or what type of exactly the exaltation will be. Peter doesn't say exactly, but if we follow his line of thought, this whole idea of a specific time, it's generally referring to when Christ comes back, like he said in chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 2, verse 12. So it most likely refers to when uh, he's saying that we will be exalted in whatever way when Christ comes back. But whatever the case, We can have full confidence in the promise that God will exalt us before him through faith in Christ. And for me, simply hearing him say my name with a smile upon his face is enough exaltation for me. And when I keep that in mind, when we keep that in mind, that he's going to say your name with a smile... All those worrisome trials all of a sudden don't become so big as compared to hearing that, living there, to being exalted by God himself. Now the question then you might be thinking here is, well, (laughs) how do I stay humble before the Lord? I mean, it seems pretty important from the text, so how am I supposed to do this? And Peter gives us our answer in verse 7. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This passage is is actually truly remarkable. 
Because Peter says we stay humble and practice our humility before God by realizing that he actually cares about all of our worries and problems. We stay humble before God and handle our problems in a humble manner by coming into a deeper and deeper understanding that he truly cares about what's going on in your life. Peter is saying that we need to understand more and more that God cares about our well-being more than you do. And we have a hard time admitting that. We always think we know what's best for ourselves, and that's why we get into so much trouble and so much worry. Peter is pointing out that worry comes when we are more concerned with life's outcomes going according to our ways rather than God's ways. But Peter says here in this text to everyone who is dealing with worrisome trials and problems and worry is that we need to stop trying to control the outcomes of these things and rather give the outcomes, give the worries, give the outcomes over to the Lord to do as He wills with them. That's how we cast anxieties. That's how we throw anxiety. He is the target. That word cast means throw it on something. He's the target. It's not just simply saying to the Lord, Lord, you handle it. Good luck trying that. But it's also saying on top of that is that we tell the Lord that we are willing to accept the outcome of whatever happens because we trust in his care over us. That's, that's the casting part. You take responsibility. And we live out that trust by abiding in his word even when we rather do otherwise, because we want it to go our way. Now, will the worry go away completely? Will the concerns disappear once and for all, once we start to cast our anxieties on him? It might, and it might not. Now, I'm sure that was not the answer you were expecting, the it might not. Well, why would I say that? Well, Paul speaks of his anxiety, worries, concerns, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So if you have the apostle dealing with it, then there might be a slight chance that you will too. And I say, I say this so we don't get this wrong impression that this text of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 is promising that the worries will just magically disappear and that you will be carefree for the rest of your life. That's, mm, sorry. That's movie Hollywood stuff. So I'm sure probably right now some of you are like, wow, I am never coming to you with any worries. <laughs> You're of no help, John. But don't check out on me. Don't check out on me. Because when you look at the text, though it does not promise that the worry, the anxiety, the concerns will go away, 
it does reveal that we will be comforted in our worry and not left alone in our worry so we can get through our worry. And this all hinges on Paul's, um, sorry, Peter saying, because he, God, cares for you. In verse 7, Peter is basically summarizing uh, Psalm 55, verse 22, where it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And side note, even within that whole Psalm of 55, where this is stated, you can see, specifically in verses 4 through 8, the writer dealing with anguish, worry, and concern of those trying to harm him. But yet he still says this at the end. Why? Because he knows his worries and burdens. He knows all of that. He will be comforted in them if he goes to the Lord. Not that it just goes away, but there will be comfort in it. It will become hopefully lighter. So Peter reminds us and them that, God's, that it is God's caring for us that brings us comfort in our worries and helps us handle them correctly. It is His caring for us that is our driving force as to why we go to Him with our worries in the first place. So understand, when we go to God humbly with our worries, we are revealing that we are submitting not to the circumstances around us, but we are submitting to the Lord and His ways who is over and controls these circumstances that we are currently in. So though we may be in a situation that is causing us worry, and I think there's much in the world today, we go to the one who can get us through that worry correctly by admitting we can't handle it on our own. That we are not strong enough, but we are weak and needy, in need of his constant care over us. <clears throat> and what always brings that to light and proves that he cares about our worries and troubles, that drives us to do this, is the gospel of God's grace that is seen in the cross of Jesus. By remembering the greatest expression of his care for us, the cross, this is what brings us comfort in our worries and woes. How so? Well, if God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for us, well, now that we have faith in Jesus, how can he not then want to hear from us and hear of all of our problems? Because he took care of all of these issues in Christ. How can he not want to hear from you so he can provide you his grace to help you and sustain you in your worries? Peter is basically saying in these two verses, in regards to our worries, that God knew you couldn't handle life on your own and that's why he gave his son for you so you can go to him to handle your life and to guide your life because you don't know how and that's okay. 
This is why Jesus has done everything for you. He has done everything for your past, your present, and future through faith in him so you can have a right relationship with God and have his unconditional love over you as a child and run to him with all your worries. But here's the thing. God loves you so much and he cares for you so much that even if you have failed up to this point in casting your worries over to the Lord and humbly submitting to Him, and you're sinfully trying to handle it all on your own, know this, Jesus has you covered through faith in Him. And even if you fail in the future and will end up worrying in the future sinfully trying to handle it on your own, guess what? Jesus has you covered through faith in Him. And that in itself should inspire us then all the more to go to him because of his absolute, unconditional, loving care over us. That even when we purposely ignore the fact and pridefully ignore the fact that God wants us to give him our worries and we don't, he still absolutely loves and cares for us and is guiding us and is working his mighty hand amongst us. That should promote us all the more to go to him with all of our worries, cares, and concerns so that we can handle all of these things correctly by his grace. So if you are struggling with worry here today, and let me tell you, I'm speaking to myself. Stop being consumed with trying to control the outcome of your life. Cast it upon the Lord. And rather be consumed with the one who is over your life and who gave his life for you. That's how you handle worry. So what we're going to do now, in light of this glorious message of the cross, how Christ has did everything for us, that it's finished, we're going to go ahead and take the Lord's Supper. And if you haven't received it, please feel free to go and go ahead and go ahead and in the back and get it.